you guys are not on board with the tuba revolution. But the number one problem that tuba players in Los Angeles have, you want to know what it is? You want to know what it is? They're playing their tuba and no sound is coming out and they realize that there's a wad of $20 bills stuck down <laughs> the bottom of their tuba because so many people are throwing money at them. That's what it's like to be a tuba player in Los Angeles right now. My only question to you two is, how come we're not playing tuba? And you know what? Harry doesn't have... Is he playing guitar or something? No, not really, no. Well, now's the time to get him in on the tuba as well. Look, Harry's a wide receiver, right, Tim? Yes. Okay, we know they don't... He knew how much money he could make as a tuba player? <laughs> exactly! He would give up wide receiver. <laughs> hmm. Do tuba players ever go on strike? There is a tuba players union. There must be. Five years ago, they started a tuba players union because their instrument is the heaviest of any instrument. They're playing all the time, they, and they don't get solos, so they're doing more work than anyone else in the band, so they raised their rate. And this was like the beginning of the movement, the tuba players movement. Well, did the uh, stand-up double bass players get through the same thing because they have the biggest instrument or the... No, I have the biggest instrument. <laughs> yeah, okay. God damn it, Jim. <laughs> damn it. God damn it, Jim. I have to yell because last time we did this, Cassia said, you didn't yell very much. And so I guess... The, the quality of the podcast in this household is judged by how much perceived yelling is heard outside of the room during this hour. <laughs> God damn it, Jim! God damn it! She's going to be tweeting, there's yelling going on. <laughs> God damn it, Jim! God damn it! It's 9.10 p.m. on Wednesday, November 16th, 2011, and that means it's time for the Medialoper Bebop. Tonight, are the major labels going to kill CDs at the end of 2012? Also, iTunes matches surfaced, but is anybody going to spend $25 to back up their music? And finally, we honor an amazingly influential double album by Husker Du by inducting it into the Medialoper Bebop Great Albums Hall of Fame. All that on Medialoper Bebop episode 23, Zen Arcane. Good evening. I'm your host, Jim Connolly, and with me as always are Tim Gaskell. Sponsored by Guinness Black Lager. And Kirk Biglioni. Sponsored by Stone Vertical Epic 11.11.11. Wow, was that brewed on 11.11.11? It's brewed for release on 11-11-11. Stone has done this every year. They do their annual brew. They started with 1-1-1, and they're ending with 12-12-12. And this is 11-11-11. Wow. I actually um, am just sponsored by Knob Creek this week. And you said, you said <laughs> Knob. <laughs> I also have a single question for the both of you. Team Edward or Team Jacob? No idea what you're talking about. Is this to do with Jerry Sandusky? <laughs> oh, God. Tim, you know what I'm talking about, though, right? Twilight? Yes. 
Which, by the way, means we could do our brand new segment that I've been wanting to do from the start, which is Explain It to Kirk, where you and I, Tim... Wait a minute, I know Twilight is a U2 song. Where Tim and I take a piece of extremely popular culture and, well, explain it to Kirk. Tonight, Twilight. Tim, do you want to take a crack at explaining Twilight to Kirk? I'll begin with you. It's a U2 song. (laughs) The author maybe was inspired by the by Twilight uh, U2 song. But anyway, Twilight got started a series of four books, I believe. Um, Wait a minute. Is this something you 2 are in on? You 2 oh. are in on, but not me. <laughs> well, you'll see. The fir- My first exposure to Twilight was uh, I was in the movie theater and I saw a trailer for it. And this is this, to this, this day. This is normally the part where I would hit the uh, fast forward. Which is why I don't know any of this stuff. Right. But, all right. This so is why we're, this is why we're explaining it to you. But Tim, I think we don't need the entire history of your history with Twilight. We just need no, a, what a I'm quick. Saying is Twilight. Ex- I saw Twilight. This is what I'm saying is I saw a trailer in the movie theater, and that's my, the extent of my knowledge basically because I saw it was about teenage kind of vampires and it was kind of pretentious and everything, and I tuned out immediately and I never saw one other than that trailer was the only thing I ever saw. Your wife didn't read any of the books or anything? No, we didn't. No, nobody in this household That's read the books. That's pretty sexist of you, Jim. Oh. Well, the only, the only people Harry I know that have read, read it. What if Harry read the books? It's, Harry's of the age where no. he might have read these books. Nope, nope, nope. Okay, I have to say that in our family, we have a kind of extended family. 13-year-old boy who is... Big for his age and athletic, and all you know, similar to Harry, but younger because Harry's what 15? Mm-hmm. 14? 15. And has read every single one of the Twilight books, although I will not have any. He understands that this is not something you talk to Kirk about, right? <laughs> but I've picked up enough to know that this is a way that you talk to girls. All I can say, one thing I do know is that there's <clears throat> there's a lot better young adult stuff out there that's much, much more interesting, much more compelling. Hunger Games being the one I'm looking forward to next year. Young adult is where the money is. It is. This is where, this is where we're at right now. Harry Potter, yeah. Harry Potter, great young adult series. If you're... If you're going to be a an author, a novelist, young adult is where, is what you write to and become rich. It, exactly. And Jim, by the way, next explain it to Kirk will be about Harry Potter. <laughs> We've had the Harry Potter discussion. Kirk's going to um, watch all the movies in his old age home. Oh, that's right. With my band, the Electric Lumbar. Exactly. <laughs> Tim, do you even listen to the podcasts? Um. Do I listen? Why would I listen to something that I've already listened to? Besides, that was like twenty podcasts ago. That's like asking Snooky if she's read her own books. You know, the Kardashians put out a book this week. Yeah. Do you think they've read their own book? Of course, they haven't read their book. What are you they guys talking it. about? It's like you're speaking a foreign. It's like both of you are speaking <laughs> foreign language right now. Kurt, you've never been to a supermarket? 
I do go to supermarkets. Okay. But only left-wing ones. <laughs> you ever you ever been to Ralph's or Vaughn's? Vaughn's, yeah. Then you've seen Kardashian headlines. Okay, someday we're going to have like a um, field trip where right. I demonstrate some of my techniques for avoidance of popular culture references. <laughs> you use the self-checkout? I might just shoplift to avoid that sort of thing. Ah. Uh. You you want to go on record to say that, uh, Jim? No, but but I think it's out? I think it's funny because Kirk could probably get away with the fact that he said uh, I'm just shoplifting officer, so I don't have to see all the Kim Kardashian magazines in the checkout stand. Who's going to convict he, him? The the officer would say, "I applaud your your audacity. Audacity, go, my son." A recent report in Sideline Magazine says that the major labels are planning on abandoning the CD format by the end of 2012, or maybe even sooner, and go completely to a download-only format, except, of course, for high-priced limited editions. So guys, is this a big deal, or does it just put the final nail in the coffin of the always star-crossed compact disc? Hmm. Uh, yeah, good question. I think it's putting the <clears throat> one of the last two or three nails in the coffin, I'm sure. But um, as far as, obviously, it's not the end of the CD entirely because, as I believe the article said, there will be special box sets, greatest hits, etc., that will still be released on CD for the foreseeable future, at least. I haven't seen, the, like, the Blu-ray, the big uptake in Blu-ray releases. I know they've done a few, but that doesn't seem to be going anywhere either. Uh, although there's going to be a high-end market, um, you know, that'll exist in some format or another, whether it, it just all moves back to vinyl or, you know, Blu-ray is a supplemental thing, who knows. But the end of the CD, yeah, is imminent. I just don't see the point of buying, like, you know, when the next Nickelback album comes out, <laughs> I'm, def I'm definitely just downloading. I'm not buying that CD this time. I think it's uh, it's about time for a new format. What I think they're going to do is they're going to come up with new ways of bundling digital packages to get you to buy it again, just like they did with CDs. That's what I think. I don't know how that's going to happen yet. What I have to say is I disagree with both of you. The CD is not dead, and I believe that the story we're talking about is just erroneous reporting. <laughs> There's no chance in hell that the CD is going to die anytime within the next five years, and it might live another ten years. I disagree. We are the outliers, or maybe we're becoming, maybe we're becoming the 99%, but there are enough people who still buy CDs and don't have MP3 players that the CD is going to be around for a while to come. There's no way they're going to cut off. When you look at, I sent you guys this, this RIA sales chart going back to 96 based on format. And when you break it down, yes, the CD has plummeted over the last four or five years, but it's still as big as all of the other formats combined. Right. So they're not going to get rid of the format that is as big as all of the other format combined when the jump from CD to downloadable is huge. So for the people who for the people who haven't made the the leap to digital, it's a huge leap for them to to go from the CD player to digital if they're not inclined to do so. And if tomorrow there were no CDs to buy, that would be a disaster for the music industry. 
well, the way I look at that chart in the last 15 years, that obviously it peaked around 2000. <clears throat> so actually, in the last 10 10 years, it's lost about um, you know a, a, about a qu three quarters. What's that? For, about three for, quarters. For, for CDs and the total oh, amount we, of sales is cut in half. Yeah. So no, CDs are they're well they're done. But but look at the all of the other formats combined versus CD. They're just it's. But just look at the growth. No, but look at the growth of uh, download downloaded. Uh, Actually, the download growth is 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 pretty much flatlined in the last couple of years. Bit now, yeah. But still, we we've got about another five years we need to project out on. And if we went by this, we we're saying CDs in about four to five years, if they follow the natural pattern here, would be probably uh, one or below a, a billion dollars or whatever this is. And, and, and when you look at the business from 2000 or 99 being almost 15 billion to being 7 billion in 2010 and dropping, they can't afford to give up right now CDs are, are over 3 billion. They can't afford to give up half of their business. No, but it, it, people will transition just like they went from vinyl to CD. Not everyone will. I mean, it's easy for us to say because we're always connected and we've got all this technology around us, but we mm. are the outliers. They're, middle America or a middle whatever country you're in is a different world entirely, and there's still money to be made with those outliers. They're not going to cut those people off. Yeah, the people who buy the uh, uh, <clears throat> what's her name, the singer, the British singer Susan Adele, Susan oh. Boyle. You know, like the people that buy that stuff. We're talking like the moms, effectively. Yeah, they're they're they're. It's much harder for them to make the transition, but well, the, the, it's like there are some people who are on the extreme edge who will never go, and then some people who are like in the middle who've made a transition but maybe aren't ready for the next transition or are not technologically savvy enough that they can deal with, you know, making a transition to digital music. It just won't fit into their lifestyle. They're not going to be as bad as the people on, on the fringe, but they're still going to take longer than you would expect to make the conversion. Yeah, but it'll become, it'll really will become, though, a niche market, I think. Oh, eventually, yeah, and DVDs as well. Physical media is dying. Yeah. The question is, how long will it take? Right. Where are we going to go to get uncompressed music, and do we even care anymore as a, a society of music-loving fans? Yes. yes, we do care about... Basically, the, when I was talking earlier about how, how are record companies going to resell us digital stuff, I believe they're going to transition to selling us WAV files, AIFF files, whatever, FLAC files, in order to get back that audio, you know, they're going to they're going to start saying, look, you know, you want real audio, MP3 doesn't cut it, here is your WAV file, get the whole Neil Young catalog now for $500. So is that going to work? I don't know, but I'm just guessing that something like that is going to happen. And the reason I ask that is... Whatever happens in terms of uncompressed music, it's going to have to be compatible with the thousands and millions and zillions of songs that people have that are already compressed in terms of the playback devices. 
Yeah, but your um, but the thing is, people are into you know the high end audio fidelity and everything, so they'll they'll make that they can make that work however they want. Oh, you know. I, how many people are into that though? Yeah, I don't well, think look it's, at all the I why, again, why are people again, into I, vinyl? I think we're we're on the we're on the we're we are the one percent, Tim. But look at when how many comes, people are into vinyl. When it comes to caring about music. And the quality of music, and and we'll get into this when we talk about iTunes Match, the diversity of music. We are the one percent, or probably less. We are the half percent. No, we are otaku. We are we are fanatics about this one thing, but that doesn't mean that we are representative of the masses, and certainly not enough to affect how any of the major labels, or Apple, or Google, or Amazon makes decisions. Yeah, but they're not thinking about people like us when they make their decisions. Yeah, I, one one quick one quick thing that I've noticed on your chart here, Kirk. Vinyl. It's I, not my <laughs> chart. It's the <laughs> chart. Please do not attribute. God damn it, Tim! Please do not attribute the RIAs work to me. This is their sales chart. Your God chart. damn it, Tim! You listen to, we, we, we watched a movie. <laughs> we watched the front page last night with um, Walter Matthau and Jack Lemmon. And I realized that Walter, Ma Walter Matthau had an influence on me during my formative years. God damn it, Kirk! I've got kids sleeping. I can't do it. No, what I was going to say is the vinyl, which I thought vinyl would be going up, but according to this chart, vinyl's remained steady for the last like three years and even declined some from previous years that, but there's that a right? healthy vinyl there's a healthy vinyl market but yes. it's a niche market as long as there are music hipsters there will always be vinyl so i'm looking at this tweet so kirk biglioni says i have no intention at yelling of yelling at jim tonight yet he is yelling a lot <laughs> This week, iTunes finally made their cloud-based iTunes Match service available. For $25, you can store up to 25,000 songs in the iCloud with theoretical access, theoretical anywhere access to your entire iTunes library, assuming, of course, you have an iOS device. So either one of you guys going to try this? I'm matching my abbreviated library now. Well, see, that's a point, Kirk. You mentioned it. You, you emailed me yesterday saying that the 25,000 song limit was a problem. Oh, yeah, it's a big problem. But, um, again, we are the half of 1% where we have libraries beyond what the people they're catering to have. And our libraries present unique problems to Apple in terms of matching and uploading and all the other things they're doing. Uh, it's an, a really interesting service. I've heard people say, make the claim that this is the end of piracy. I've heard people make the claim that this is amnesty for pirates. And it really is when you think about any song that will match that is in your library, goes into your iTunes Match account, and then you get a legitimate copy. High quality, maybe not a FLAC file, but high quality, high quality digital copy, which is associated with your account, which becomes 
your you can delete the original and download a higher quality copy for you know twenty five dollars here. That's a great deal. I think it's 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 an interesting offer, and I think that uh, I think it's going to do really well. I've seen just in the last couple of days, um, I think an indication of how uh, an, an indication of success is that I'm seeing a lot of articles on tips about how to use it, how to get the 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 how to speed up the matches, how to do uh, how to speed up the downloads. Uh, how to get around some of the limitations. Not so much complaining, but tips on how to make the most of the service. I think this is going to be a big hit. So does 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 Google's uh, unbeta-ing of their music service have any effect on any of this at all? Okay, I have an Android device. And I have had Google Music for months. Uh, and I have to say that the Google thing has no impact on any, anything because it's an entirely different thing. This whole thing where they're, they're doing matching to match a larger portion of your library is, is something Google and Amazon can't do because they haven't made deals with the labels. Uh, although there have been court opinions in the last within the since over the summer that might indicate that Amazon and Google could get away with doing similar matching without having to make agreements with the labels but for now Apple is the only one who's who has actually gone out and made deals with all of the labels so that they can do a match sort of thing where they match your library to songs they the the high quality file that's in their master library and you don't have to upload all of your songs for any of us it would take a couple of months to upload our full libraries to the cloud but um, wait, wait 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 no 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 time out time out time out time out my full library is like almost 100,000 songs my iTunes library which is curated is 21,000 songs and it fluctuates cuz that okay, includes let's go, let's 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 Go with twenty-five thousand is the limit, or twenty thousand is the limit. But it didn't take more than three or four days to get all of my, my twenty thousand songs up into Google Music. But the problem was that it didn't get all of them because it I went past their limit. But it didn't take that long for the initial upload. Okay, wow. you have a fast upload. What's your upload speed? Off the top of my head, I don't know, but it's I have a super fast. I have a super fast connection. Yes. Go to speakeasy.net and try it, and then tell me what you get. But anyway, um, Kirk, quick question. On the on the matching, say you hit your 25,000 limit, but you want to delete 100 songs and then add another 100. Is it okay to do that? I don't know. I'm only on step one, and I'm only like m slightly more than 50% through step one. But my, se my sense is that won't be okay. Because I'm looking at I'm looking at all of these tips when I'm searching I'm trying to figure out how to work around the twenty five thousand song limit and I'm finding all of these blog posts. A lot of people are posting little tips about how to get the most out of iTunes Match, and um, a big thing is to upload or match your library and then delete your original files and get the high quality upgraded versions. 
overwritten over your original files. Okay. Um, so, so the question remains then: Can you, if you, if you want to change, if you want to delete some and add some others, as you, I would yeah, have thought. No, it, because once a song is associated with your account, hmm. that's a song in your account. And so deleting it doesn't really delete it from my senses. And again, I'm only like 52% through the, the original match. My sense is that because you could download that song and, and do whatever you wanted to with it once you downloaded it, hmm. that they say, okay, I'm going to delete these songs and then move on to these other songs. Well, So you right, couldn't do like 25,000 songs, download them, delete them all, and then move on to the next 25,000 songs. Just just for the record, my uh, upload speed is 3 megabytes a second. That's pretty good. My download, according to Speakeasy, is 42.69 megabytes per second. Okay, Way what are you on? What service are you on? I'm on um, my cable internet service. I'm saying your internet connection is faster than what I clocked at the Internet Archive. That, no, what, what he's talking is like the old, like the T1 speeds and stuff. That's, Three, that's, T3. Yeah, that's incredible what you're getting. Basically, most home, if you're getting a home, uh, either DSL, which kind of goes up to about five, and then um, you can, I believe you can get cable modems go to go up to about 20. You're getting, you're saying you're getting double that? That's what this... God damn it, Jim! Slow exactly. down your internet! Um, Make more speed for the rest of us! <laughs> so hey, we're, all having, we're all having dinner together on Saturday night. How we, about that? We are. Hey Jim, can you bring your can you bring your internet with you? Uh, yes, I'll bring it over to Kirk's house. In the meantime, uh, another week, another message from Commissioner Gordon. Jim, this is me, Dear Loper, Bebop Commissioner Gordon Loper, and I am well and truly outraged at last week's Sham of the Mockery of the Sham of the Podcast. First, you take old recordings of me and pretend to have me ask Siri to marry her. You know that she is not my type. I am real. Siri is artificial. You guys are stupid. Then, you threaten to kidnap Jay Fung and Scott Oliver to keep them from taking your jobs. What the fuck? What the fucking fuck? You guys, you are such assholes. However, for now, your jobs are secure. Jay Fung wanted too much money, even more money than Tim is currently making, and the numbers on the podcast just don't support it. So for now, your jobs are safe. How much are you making, Tim? Good Tim. I can't can't remember. Tim. 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 Yes. How much money are you making? Off the podcast? Yeah. Um, I. Jim, I'm. How much money are you making, Tim? Speak to my lawyer. (laughs) Damn it, Tim! (laughs) How much money are you making? Kirk is going to go down as the best podcast ever because there's going to be so many tweets about how loud this podcast is. Back in 1984, I think it was safe to say that hardcore punk was in a bit of a rut. It seemed like every band was racing to be faster than every other band, and there were already ironclad rules fossilizing around what was punk 
and what wasn't. And then Husker du's Zen Arcade came along and blew every single one of those rules right out of the water. While undeniably a hardcore punk album, Zen Arcade was also a double album, a concept album, and Heaven Fulfend contained acoustic guitars, backwards riffs, pianos, and, oh yeah, some of the greatest, hookiest songs this side of the Ramones. The impact of Zen Arcade was immediate, undeniable, and long-lasting, which is why I'm pleased tonight to induct it into the Media Loper Bebop Great Albums Hall of Fame. Tim, you were the one who got to choose the great album this time around. Why do you think the Zen Arcade is such a worthy entrant into our Hall of Fame? You know, I, I don't know. I just saw the, I just saw it listed on Rolling Stone's uh, top album <laughs> in the 80s. And I just thought, well, it must be good. Now, anyway, the reason, the, the reason I like this album, and I remember we got this probably the same week it came out. Um, we got it sent, it got sent to us at the radio station, I believe. And then, I'm sure. We, we each went out and got our own copies. And what was great was the fact that here's a, here's a hardcore punk album that's a double album. So immediately you're thinking, okay, this isn't just another hardcore album. Um, you, you drop the needle on side one and it kind of starts off like another hardcore album, but within the, by, by the end of the song, by the end of that side, it's gone far beyond what any hardcore band at that time had really been doing. If you had to take like one song, chartered trips. If you if you played somebody that one song out of the entire Husker Du catalog, that one song pretty much sums up their entire career, and it it's, it, it is like a, a template for their for their sound in a lot of ways. But this album, as Jim said, goes all over, all over the map. There's everything on it. There's, you know, it's produced interestingly well. Uh, obviously, on CD, you have kind of cranked it a bit because it's it's mastered a bit quietly compared to most other albums today. But it was a shot out of the blue, and American hardcore finally found this kind of soulful voice where it wasn't just yeah about the. The hardcore rules, which kind of really dictated not only what they were saying, but how they were playing their music. Huskudu said, no, fuck that. You can do this. You can have a concept album, and it is a loosely based concept album. You can break the mold, said Bob. Mold. And what's that? Nothing going on. Yeah. And, you know, you can do all this other stuff. I show you everywhere you're wrong, but I'm never talking to you again. 
Two writers, Grant Hart and Bob Mould, they started um, splitting their uh, their songwriting credits, I guess. And so we got an idea of who was doing what. And you know, two of the most famous songs on the album were, turned out to be Grant Hart songs, "Turn on the News" and "Pink Turns to Blue," which are you know undeniable classics. But you know, the, the Bob Mould songs are all great as well. There are um, you know, it, side four is kind of like side four of Blonde on Blonde in some ways, wouldn't you say, Jim? Um, if, 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 yes, if Satellite Lady of the Lowlands was, uh, you know, a, a, a punky, noisy, jazzy, scronky instrumental. But, you know, you end ending it with a 13-minute song, basically, ending a, a double album. And, you know, ever, ever since then, I mean, I, to, to this day, I still think it's their greatest moment. Obviously, they had great albums after this, but I think from start to finish, this is the most interesting, groundbreaking, and ultimately satisfying album of theirs. Kirk, what do you think about Zen Arcade? In addition to what Tim said, I'm looking at this as, in the context, there's, there are a couple different ways we can look at it. We can look at it in the context of what it meant at the time. And, you know, it was a double punk album. Um, and then we can look at it from today where it's only, you take out recurring dreams and it's under an hour. And un, under an hour, that's like, you know, a short CD, right? Uh, so, so um, from the back in the day perspective, it was absolutely a landmark album. Um, at the time, I really, I remember thinking that this should be the album where the the metalheads who reject everything that is punk understand that punk is real music too, right? And that when they hear Zen Arcade, they'll realize this is their album. This is the thing that connects punk rock with what they consider to be real music. I don't think that ever really happened. No, maybe not. And I I don't understand why. Right down to the band having Ooglots in their name. (laughs) (laughs) You would have thought that would have been a dead giveaway. But it never translated. I don't understand why. And they had like indecision time, you know. Bob Mould shreds on guitar. So. Oh, Bob Mould just kill, and, and Grant Hart, both of them just kill throughout this record. 
Well, no, let's There's not. So hey, much well, of this album that should have appealed to what was hard rock or heavy metal at the time, and it never crossed over. And this is the thing that mystifies me. By, by the way, this not pass over Greg Norton's bass playing. It's phenomenal on this album and most of his stuff with the band. I know towards the end of the band, they were kind of dubbing his stuff, but but, but on this, he's he's amazing. I was going to call this in light of the other albums. And first of all, let me just say that that Zen Arcade is a, an amazing record, and, and it's one of the one of the key records of the 1980s. And yet, to me, it's just it was just kind of I was going to call it a transition album, but really, uh, Metal Circus is their transition album, even though it's only an EP. But it's it's really a flowering of a whole new thing, and I feel like that that every formal um, step that, that Zen Arcade took actually just exploded on the next four records, which I mean, we're going to talk about Mold probably next week after we see the concert, blah 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 but, I mean, it's the beginning of two and a half years five albums, two of them are double albums, all of them are A albums, all of them contain some of the greatest songs of the entire decade and Zen Arcade's just like almost a declaration of Oh, by the way, we're going to turn out to be one of the best fucking bands in the history of music. Recorded in 40 hours, mixed in 40 hours. Which, by the way, is one of the one of the weaknesses in it. I mean, yes, it's 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 along among a lot of other things, a, things a precursor to lo-fi. But there are some great words in there and some great guitar that just kind of get obfuscated just because of what was it? Robert Krusikow said it could it it, it it would have been okay to make sure they all sang into the microphone. <laughs> yeah, no, that's very true. But obviously, you know, when when bands, most bands, it seems when they record their early albums, they record them like in a day or overnight or something, usually for budgetary reasons. Right. And uh, this was no exception. And but then you get to, you know, probably Warehouse could, could have used uh, the same approach. Who knows? It's a form of discipline to record. You know, quickly because you've got limited budgetary resources is one thing, but to record a classic album because you have limited budgetary reasons, and you know, is an entirely different thing. They could have been perfectionists, in which case this would have been an EP, 
and we wouldn't be talking about this right now as one of the greatest albums of all time. But there was also another thing going on where they were having a bit of a competition with with like the Minutemen, who also did a double album, and and um, doubled nickels on the dime, and actually scratched. I think it was on the runout runout groove. Take that, Hooskers. <laughs> yeah, I mean that's a great another, album another, too. It's another not... great album, yeah. And 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 uh, there was also I think a picture of Husker Du on the inner sleeve of the Minutemen, uh, doubled nickels on the dime. So there was. I mean, th- I think they, this... they were they were label mates. Yep. Uh, don't forget the thing that I regret the most in my life at this age is one of the one of the top five things is that we did not find a way to go to the SST tour, which it was uh, Husker Du and the Minutemen and the Meat Puppets touring together. <sighs> mm. And it was on our radar, and I think that we nixed it because none of us had automobiles that were reliable enough to get there. Well, at least it was an honorable bohemian reason why he didn't go. We could have hitchhiked. A chance to see Husker Du on their last tour uh, in San Francisco. A chance to see Husker Du on the Warehouse Songs and Stories tour. They pl- they played San Francisco the same night that Miss Allen's played the Chi-Chi Club. Which but you had a you chance to see, to see them in Los Angeles at the Variety Arts Center with with Thelonious Monster opening. Wow. I was there. Why weren't you there? I didn't live there. You did. I did not live there. Oh. I drove there from Fresno. You were invited. I feel like the part of the part of the uh, subtext of this podcast overall is all the concerts that I just didn't have the money and or time to be able to go to in the '80s. Despite the fact I went to dozens, hundreds of concerts, I didn't go to enough. You didn't go to this one. Sleep tonight. Broken up a broken heart. 
When did you see them, Tim? Uh, the last tour in London. Probably one of their last gigs. So you're the odd man out, Jim. I know, and uh, which is fucking hilarious and ironic and makes me want to blow my brains out. God damn it, Kirk! God damn it, Tim! Why didn't I get to see Husker Do? <laughs> when, you, when you master the time travel, you can see one of their shows. But Jim, it's okay. You and I got to see the Smiths and Kirk didn't. So there, <laughs> Kirk. And one other thing about this album that, that, well, the reasons we're talking about it is because it made it okay to be a concept record, though no one's ever really quite clear on what the concept is, it was okay. Every concept album since then, whether it's the Coolies album, Doug, or Drive-By Truckers, Southern Rock Opera, or Green Day's American Idiots, or Fucked Up David Come to Life, they all get compared to Zen Arcade because it was like the first time that that it was okay to be a punk rock band but also do a full-on concept album. Hang on, Jim. Can I just uh, fill in something there? The yeah. The gap that you mentioned there. Apparently, it is the story of a young boy who runs away from an unfulfilling home life only to find the world outside is even worse. Okay, thank you. I've read that too, and yet I've never really found that in the songs. Have you? No. Okay. But... Because because you can't hear the fucking lyrics. Tim, best song on Zen Arcade? The best song, hard to pick, the best song. Uh, like I said, I think um, I think Chartered Trips is a great template for the band. I think my all-time favorite songs on this are, it's a tie for Turn on the News and Pink Turns to Blue, but all those Bob Mold songs are great too. How about you, Kirk? Uh, I'd go with the obvious, Turn on the News. I think it's it's we're all in complete agreement on that. Turn on the news, uh, whatever. It's probably my favorite mold song, uh, and also the backwards one right after that. Um, oh, the tooth fairy and the yeah, the, yeah. And then of course that, that 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 those last three songs before reoccurring dreams are just this beautiful, just perfect pop or perfect guitar song, psychedelic song, and then just utter anthem. And it's a great way to finish a record. And so congratulations to Zen Arcade by Husker Du, a record that joins the Hold Steady's Boys and Girls in America, Brian Eno's Taking Tiger Mountain by Strategy, the Kinks' Arthur, or The Decline and Fall of the British Empire, and R.E.M.'s Murmur in the Medialoper Bebop Great Albums Hall of Fame.
Oh, sir. Just one more thing. One more thing. Kirk. Yeah, so, um, I know I'm getting to be a certain age. Uh, and I'm scaring myself because I'm reminding myself of my grandfather. Oh, God. Which is that, have either of you ever known me to complain about language on television? Uh, I've never known you to complain about anything. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not the, I'm not the sort of person to complain about language on television programming. And yet I find myself here at one more thing complaining about this goddamn series Breaking Bad, which I missed when it was broadcast. And now I'm seeing it's on Netflix. And I'm thinking, okay, this is great. It's Breaking Bad is streaming on Netflix. I can finally catch up. And I've watched the pilot, and God damn it, I'm not going to watch any more because it's goddamn censored. What? There what? are dropouts, there are overdubs. <laughs> the pilot episode of Breaking Bad is goddamn censored on Netflix. Whoa. And I'm thinking, what the hell? What the hell is this? It's Netflix. I pay for this. Hang on, what, what network did it? When did it? What, where did it air, Jim? AMC, and those, so the original broadcasts were censored. Um, yeah. They would say shit. The shit was okay, and there were like three or four times where they said fuck, but those were always dropouts. But not on the Blu-rays. Okay, oh. well, on the Netflix, there are dropouts, there are overdubs, there's bad Jackie Chan-like overdubs. It sucks. Well, then, bar come and borrow. I'll, well, I'll, I'll remind me, and I'll bring our Blu-rays. You can borrow those, because you should see Breaking Bad. Then I'd have to hook up the goddamn Blu-ray player. <sighs> you know... Because of the goddamn censorship. Physical media is dead. I thought, we I thought we decided tonight that physical media is dead. And now I have to hook up the Blu-ray because of the goddamn censorship. That's not right. Oh. Why isn't your Blu-ray hooked up, for God's sake? Because it's, it's finicky. It doesn't like regular DVDs. And I've got Apple TV, and I've got Netflix streaming, and I didn't know that all of a sudden a show I would want to watch would be heavily censored on Netflix. That makes no sense at all. Well, yeah, that doesn't make sense. I don't know why they got the broadcast masters, but you know what? Here's the other thing. I do know this for a fact. Sometimes they are supplied with you know the wrong masters that may have been rectified after the first two episodes and maybe they're using the, the right ones after that who knows that does that stuff happens all the but, time but you know i don't remember a lot of dropouts it wasn't like they were saying i mean the only words that were ever dropped out were in, in the original broadcasting but were fuck that's it every other word every other thing you're seeing kirk doesn't make any sense at all that's not even the original broadcast that's like um, a basic cable edit version which makes it's no made, sense. The made-for-Kirk version. Exactly. One more thing. Tim. This isn't a in-the-mix thing, but it's kind of like that. Uh, the new Childish Gambino album, Camp. That is my one more thing. Of course, uh, it's just it's Don, Donald Glover from Community, who we all know and love. 
But um, this album, this rap album is great. It's thoughtful. It's melodic. It's nice. It's about an hour long, whatever. And uh, it, before it, before you can get bored with it, um, you know, it's a great, it's it's just a good, he's, he's obviously a very talented writer, actor, performer, and this is kind of a breath of fresh air. After what I, say, I thought the Kanye and Jay-Z album was pretty bad, and uh, considering the, the, the heavyweight talent that went into that, it was pretty boring, it was lyrically just, you know, same old shit, and... Uh, musically, it was lazy, and it just didn't go anywhere. And I think um, that's why this is kind of a f- breath of fresh air in the hip hop world. Well, I I thought there were some good songs on that album, though it wasn't as good as my beautiful dark twisted fantasy. But that's yeah. because that was one of the best records of the last decade. It doesn't so. it? Th- there's nothing on that that approaches their best solo work. So, and you would you would have thought they would have hit hit a couple out of the park, and it's it just it, it's, it's just it's weak but yeah there are a couple one or two good songs but overall not a great album and that does it for two middle-aged white guys talk about hip-hop <laughs> yes one more thing hopefully that childish gambino album does well because last week nbc announced their mid-season schedule and the awesome community was nowhere to be found of course community's ratings have been bad and worse and of course network tv is in the business of selling eyeballs which, of course, didn't stop a million or so community fans from flooding Twitter with a great wailing and gnashing of teeth, the upshot of which was the realization that while only a few million people have ever watched community, they all follow each other on Twitter. My take is, yeah, it sucks. Community is one of my favorite shows on TV, but a show as quirky and groundbreaking as community is on borrowed time from the get-go, so we should be glad that it's lasted this long. Luckily, NBC is in such bad shape that they'll hopefully find another night to air it. But if not, at least we'll have gotten nearly three seasons when all is said and done. And that does it for Media Lipper Bebop episode 23, Zen Arcane. My thanks to Tim Gaskell. Thank you. And Kirk Biglioni. God damn it, Jim! You're welcome! And as always, thank you out there for listening. I'm Jim Connolly, and on behalf of Kirk and Tim, we'll catch you guys next week. Same Bebop time, same Bebop channel.